South Africa play the expanse of rugby you've come to see. And Arisa is the onboard. Okay. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Elite Rugby Banter Podcast. Tonight I am joined just by Ant, so it's a very special two-man podcast. And also special because we are now in the, not the middle, but the beginning stages of the Rugby World Cup. And we've had a very exciting weekend to kick us off. And first impressions for quite a weekend of rugby. Sum it up for us. I mean, it's unexpected, at least from my Superbrew and my betting um, outcomes <laughs> would be my, my suggestion. I think pretty much every prediction I made went wrong. Um I think the, the games played out very differently to I think the way a lot of people expected. Um, but yeah, it was just so exciting and so great to just have back to back to back to back rugby and you know, knowing that that's going to be the state for the next couple of months is just very cool. Would you say your accuracy is worse, better, or on par with uh, Money Lebox kicking accuracy in terms of your predictions? I mean, probably about the same, but that's because there's, you know, just like one of the kicking, there are quite a few easy ones um, to pad the, pad yeah. the percentages. Yeah. I think the one thing, not necessarily disappointing, but that we're going to have to get used to is slightly longer um, breaks between the game weeks. So I think previously we almost had games every single day, but because they're trying to make it more equal and having everyone have a proper break between each game, so we're getting now this three-day break before Thursday's match. So it's a little different for a World Cup, but it still makes the weekends all that much better when you have four games back-to-back, like you were saying. I was actually wondering about that because it, it definitely... I, I mean, I don't remember there being breaks previously, but, you know, I'm also just not remembered um so yeah uh, but so so the fact that we play one game a week and then have a week by does feel quite unusual so i mean are there, is the tournament as a whole running longer this year yes yeah definitely i think the whole thing is almost two months which is definitely longer than it was in japan um so okay. it's yeah it's five weeks for the group stages because everyone plays four times and has one bye so yeah it's it's a long long tournament but that i'm not complaining about that and i'm sure you're not either but uh yeah we obviously um had the spring box to make us happy um i think that's the biggest result from the weekend for us um before we get into that match any other just sort of notice noticeable mentions that you wanted to bring up I think, I mean, all of the games, to be honest, had something to talk about in their own rights. I don't think any of the games were completely uninteresting, in my opinion, uh, which yeah. is, you know, really cool. I think, like, I was, there was something to be engaged with on every single result, um, or every single match, at least. I think some of the results did kind of go the way you expected them at the end. Um, but, you know, there was some quite cool stuff happening yeah. in and amongst if you paid attention to the narratives that I'm sure we'll get into the details of. Yeah, and so, I mean, the Springboks up a relatively difficult start against Scotland on paper. Uh, Scotland, obviously, fifth in the world, and South Africa was second. But uh, full-time, 18-3. It was relatively comfortable in the end, but at halftime, it was 6-3. We had some, as previously mentioned, Money Libok not being so accurate with the tee, but he did win man of the match for his performance. Um, I think the highlight of the match was his no-look kick assist for Kurt Lee Um, 
but overall it was quite a dominant display even when the scoreline was close so it almost felt like just a matter of time before the Springboks were able to widen that gap and make it a bit more comfortable would you agree with that and yeah completely i mean we were sitting there and at, at no point i mean i don't even think scotland got close to our line ever I and mean, that could just be you know don't you remembering but it, it felt that we were completely in control of the entire time, the game, the entire time. The only question was just, you know, how many points we were going to beat them by rather than like, were we actually going to um, lose a game? So, you know, which is a nice position to be in where you can kind of dominate a side like Scotland again, but uh, I don't know, maybe we dominate a bit too strong. But, you know, it, we, I think we, we were comfortably the stronger team on the day. Um, and, you know, a 15-point win, if you'd offered that beforehand as someone mentioned somewhere that like, yeah, you would have taken that. I think you probably just would have expected it to be you know, it's like a 33-18 kind of scoreline rather than a 18-3. Um, but, you know, the, the, the margin of victory and therefore the domination is, is equivalent. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if you look at possession, territory, even something like meters run, clean breaks, all of that is in South Africa's favor, which just sort of shows, like you're saying, that level of domination. And, um, yeah, I, I also just think even though... It's 18 points. You may want to score more or do more, score more than two tries as well. But being able to keep a team out and not concede any tries is also a huge morale booster, I think. You know, having I mean, strong defense and yeah. Especially a team like Scotland, who are the super attacking team, you know, yeah. uh, that you know, really challenged France a lot over the last couple of years. Um, you know, they've got the magician. Uh, Finn Russell would fly off and I mean Finn Russell was made to look very ordinary by us yesterday. Um so you know, as, as as you say, keeping a team to three points, and that was the lowest score of the weekend. Um they had the lowest run meters of any team for the weekend, you know, from a again, super attack minded team. The fact that we we had more post contact meters than they had run meters. <laughs> yeah, that's so no, we were, like just that sad. There's a lot of really nice stuff. Um, to come from the performance. And I think, you know, the fact that we know we were probably only in third gear um, is also really encouraging. But, you know, we really, there's so much room. Yeah, but I mean, I the way we, it kind of felt when I was watching it, it was like, it didn't even feel like we were trying to play rugby. Um, you know, we kind of just, every time we got in the red zone, we just put in a little stupid kick. Like, um, my kind of reading of that is that the coaches were so confident, you know, they were comfortable that we were going to beat them um, like we didn't need to play properly, if that makes sense. You know, we could beat them, yeah, just playing within ourselves. Um, which is quite a you know, it's a cool situation to be in. Um, yeah, I, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose the risk is that it does doesn't pay off, but yeah, you know, that I, wasn't the case, obviously. <laughs> but I think I agree. It's like um, when you know you have so much more left in the tank, but you're still winning con convincingly you know a 15 point win that's a really good feeling no one's going to argue with that um so yeah i think it's for a first game especially it's something to build on if you think back four years obviously different group different side of the draw and all that but losing to new zealand in the first game wasn't or maybe it was in hindsight but at the time it didn't seem like the best way to kick off the tournament i think this is a really good starting point and hopefully being able to build and you know like you were saying, being able to be a bit more clinical when we need to 
we'll see if that comes. And we have now a number of games before the Island game to sort of sharpen our sticks, so to speak. Um, and yeah, that should be good. So I was saying, yeah, that uh, Manny Lilbock was man of the, the official man of the match, but who else from the Springbok side really do you think put their hand up and impressed you? Um, I don't know if anyone was particularly outstanding. Um, I mean, Lebok was was you know good in the things that he does, his Lebok things. Um, but you know, he's also bad in things that he doesn't do, like goal kicking. Um, but you know, on the balance of it, he's he's playing really well in our systems, and the team is doing really nice things. So, I think one would have liked to have seen a bit more execution in the red zone. And I was kind of hoping that when Vili came on, he would bring that, which he didn't. Yeah, um, sure. Then he kind of carried on doing silly, chippy things. Um, <laughs> I think the bench front row probably made the biggest statement. Um, the starting front row was under quite a lot of pressure. And then when um, Ox and Trevor came on, that, that really kind of solidified. And we just started winning back-to-back-to-back scrum penalties. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that I think was probably the standout performance for me. And obviously Grant Williams is not to try. Um, this would have been unbelievable. Um, but otherwise, I think kind of everyone played well, played their parts, but I don't know if anyone particularly stood out. Um, you know, like I wouldn't have said that Delaney's done enough to calm the noise of STAs and putting pressure on them or things like that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think even someone like Peter Steptatoy, you know, he sort of played his level, even though it was really good performance. That's almost like what we've come to expect from him, right? So I think if anyone um, sort of played better than they have been playing, at least. I think probably Jasper Visa, just because he's been in relatively poor Very form. Very good shot. So I think this was his best Springbok game in a while, and he needed it because he hasn't been playing well earlier in the year when he's had his opportunities. So I was really pleased with that, just to have that option, you know, whether we start him or bring and bring Dwayne off the bench or whether he, um, yeah, he's a bench option. It's good to see him getting a bit of a better game and against top quality opposition. Yeah, no, I was, I was stoked. I think he, you know, that he got that carry off the back of the line out early. Um, and whether that gave him confidence or that just kind of was what he needed to, to get into the game. But from there, he was very dominant, um, which is, yeah, as you say, obviously he's been quite, quite quiet, even just in the stuff that he's meant to be always good at, um, which is the basic stuff. Um, you know, just carrying hard, breaking lines of contact. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was good. Good to see um, him come back, and then you know, Dwayne obviously came on and carried on with Dwayne. Dwayne is. So it was good that both sides were, um, both options were strong. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll get a little bit more into it a bit later on in terms of what we want to see for the next game, which is Romania. But everyone putting their hand up is always a good thing, I think. Um, And we just had one sort of blight on the injury front, I think, as far as I know, with Eben Etzebeth going off early. So they've come out and said he'll be out for seven to 10 days, which means he'll probably just miss one game at, um, at least, which is the Romania game. So... Hopefully he'll be back in contention for Tonga and then obviously Ireland after that. So not a train smash on that front. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it either way, to be honest. Like he wasn't going to play against Romania anyway. Um, And it's not like he's the kind of guy that we need to, um, that needs to like play himself into form. Um, That he's, if we only bring him back for the, like the quarterfinals, he'll be firing. So 
Um, thank goodness it is only a short-term injury, and so he's you know not going to lose too much training, which I think is important. But yeah, um, yeah, it's it, it's not nearly as bad as it could have been. So I think that's probably the, the nicest thing to come out of the game that we came out pretty much unscathed. Yeah, yeah. and I think you were, yeah you were saying about Finn Russell, how we managed to keep him so quiet. I think um, not just him, but like the rest of their you know super exciting on paper backline, Darcy Graham. Huey Pilotu, the center pairing, Duan Panamova, even only towards the end of the game, he started getting a bit more involved. Um, well, and... even then, I barely saw him. I think we, I mean, yeah. you know, set that tone off the bat, um, yeah. putting him uh, down. And it, it looked as if they deliberately put Sia in, in his channel to, you know, give Arnza some help. And yeah. yeah, I mean, Duan was just not in the game for pretty much all of it. She yeah. was very effective. I mean, just as I can see that, yeah, he had seven runs and only made 25 meters. So, you know, for him, that's a very, very quiet game. And like I said, I think a lot of those were towards the end and they weren't particularly meaningful in any case. So I think our game plan from a defensive standpoint would be very pleased with keeping them quiet. I mean, obviously Darcy Graham had that one chance in the first half where they had men over and he didn't quite get the pass away. But other than that, we looked like we they didn't seem like they were capable of dealing with our rush defense. Yeah, that was, I mean, we were completely in their faces the whole time. It was really great to see. Um, so, yeah, I was very, very happy with the performance. Um, yeah. Well, happy with it with the caveats. You know, sure. I think given it's the first first game and there's so much improvement, I'm happy. If we played like that in the quarterfinal, I would be slightly more nervous because there is a lot of room for improvement. That was by that was far from a perfect vintage performance, and I think it's important to note. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, any sort of closing comments on this one? I mean, obviously, first game of uh, four group stage matches, so early days. But um, anything else you want to add? No, I just really hope that Scotland do bounce back where we can show that scrum dominance um, that they had and managed to beat Ireland, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately our call was that the forwards would just be too much for Scotland. And I think ultimately that's what ended up happening. And along with our defense, like we've mentioned, just that rushed up and didn't allow them any space that just choked the life out of Scotland again and just didn't allow them any front football, let alone you know, decent attacking ball at all. So, yeah, I think we should be happy. But as you say, lots of room for improvement at the same time. So I think um, we, let's move on. I think we'll skip past the opening ceremony unless you would like to mention one of the many uh, interesting French acts that they brought out. But otherwise, we can go straight to France, New Zealand. No, I didn't actually manage to catch the, the opening ceremony and it doesn't sound like I'm this much, so... Happy to skip over it, as I'm sure the other people wish that they had skipped over. Yeah, I um, I wasn't paying too much attention. I, I think opening ceremonies for me, not really my sort of thing. So, yeah, <laughs> straight into the rugby. But It was, I, it, 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 just before we, we do move away, it does just show the, the, the noise that is uh, Christy Doran. Because on his little... He's kind of started making a little side episode on the the Raw podcast, and he was quite happy to sing its praises. And everyone was like, "What are you talking about?" Everyone hated it. <laughs> it just shows that he is he is a purveyor of bad opinions. 
yeah, yeah. I think I think I can agree with that one without even <laughs> listening to that one. But um, yeah, I, the, one of the things that has been criticized, I think generally, and it was most evident for this first game because the whole crowd was singing along to the French anthem, was the sort of having the choirs sing the national anthems and having like a, almost a lag between the choirs and the rest of the people singing. Have you noticed any of the anthems just being a bit sort of lacking something? I thought they've been really, the ones that I've heard have really not been, the only one that I've thought was actually vaguely okay was our one. Yeah. Um, just, you know, um, they somehow seem to manage to get all the complexity right. But I was also listening to it at the bar, so maybe it wasn't the best um, <laughs> I place, that place to measure from. But, um, but no, all the other ones that I listened to, I was really kind of shocked, you know, that they got them so, so wrong, including the French. You know, they managed to get their own anthem to bugger it up completely. Yeah. Which, I, mean, you know, I can't imagine really fire the French up. Yeah. You know, like if it was everyone else's anthem, but they did their own well, one well, then you could sort of think maybe they're, <laughs> you know, doing something slightly dodgy. But as you say, if you get your own anthem wrong, then they've just messed up the whole thing. So again, room for improvement on the organization point. And I think there's already been some articles saying that they are looking into alternatives already. Yeah. So... Which is good, you know, at least they're open to that. I mean, I feel kind of bad for the kids that have been promised they're going to sing and I've been, yeah. had that dream taken away. But you know what also, if you do a shit job, you deserve to uh, lose it. So, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, you, they can give the kids another job or sing somewhere else. I'm sure they can make a plan. Um, but on to the game, yeah. So New Zealand were the first the, were the team that came firing out the blocks with Mark Tillier scoring a try almost instantly, uh, two minutes in. But France... Uh, battled back and it was close 9-8 at halftime but then by the end of the match France ran away with a 27-13 to be very comfortable by the end and they also would be pretty happy with their performance but the All Blacks yeah there's a lot of work for them to be to do even though they have a relatively easy part of the quarterfinal wow it's a weird one hey? I mean they both neither of them I would say played well hmm overall but they both had patches of doing really good stuff you know the two kind of rico only line breaks were both really incisive and if they can kind of keep that up then they're going to be a handful of other people but what then happened the rest of the game um you know why were the all blacks so kind of just skittish um yeah. you know i think they do struggle i think they've tied five is struggling um but still it's it's just weird there's something weird going on in the all blacks team and the uh, you know, the French, you know, maybe they were they were feeling oppression, so that's why they were a bit off it. Um, but, you know, the fact that the All Blacks could kind of just cut their line when they wanted to is, um, yeah, it's just, it was a weird performance. I don't know if any of South Africa or Ireland are particularly worried. Yeah, I mean, the, after that's, that. like New Zealand, like you said, they showed when they wanted to, they you know, showed that incisiveness, but they never really showed that they wanted to. They got drawn into kicking battles, which they were losing. I think ultimately um, they were losing ground when they when they got sucked into that, and they didn't really try to play it out too much, despite having you know pretty good options at running back from deep or trying something different. And I don't know if they'll look back at that and be very disappointed. I mean, obviously, Jordan's yellow card didn't help that the matter. Um, I think the scoreline was still quite close, but ultimately, I think, like you said, there's 
struggling with their tight five. Losing Sam Kane in the warm-up wasn't ideal. So having a loose trio, I think it was Papali'i, Jacobson, and Adi is, you know, not the greatest. I believe Vai, I think Vai started. Oh, sorry, Vai, yes. No, yeah, well, people would right. argue that, I mean, for all the, you know, Sam Kane comes in for a lot of criticism. That's um, true. And... You know, they say, oh, you know, we must, you know, rather play Papi Lee at open side and then have, you know, big blind side. Yeah. Well, they went with that and that didn't exactly pay off very yeah. well. So, you know, maybe yeah. this will kind of show the value of Kane, I suppose, to the, to the Kiwi fans. But, yeah, sure. I mean, Vai is definitely not a six. Um, just like we say, you know, you can't just take a lock and chuck him at, an athletic lock and chuck him at six and expect him to be Peter Steph to toy. You know, he's... Peter Steph served his internship and got schooled a lot of times before we really started to hit the straps. So I think yeah. uh, playing up uh, Tupo Valley there was a, an yeah. unnecessary risk. Yeah, I think the the trio of Lomax, Retallick, and Frizzell, getting those three back will be quite huge if they can get them playing a little bit of form before the quarterfinal. That will make a huge difference for them whether they play, you know, South Africa or Ireland. Um, otherwise, I can potentially see something similar happening. Um, and even if they do, then, you know, they might still struggle. But I think it's, for them, it's really important to get those players back. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's massive. But it's, it's something I've been thinking about is, is pretty much every team is car- carrying a number of frontline injuries. Um, you know, is that, that's not normal for a World Cup. Do you think that's... Uh, like just physicality stepped up or the warm-ups were too intense or like why is pretty much every team is missing three or four of their first choice players. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like like you say, I don't think it's happened the last couple of World Cups. I think it is higher than usual. Um, it might just be, you know, us not m- remembering properly, but I, I, it does seem to me like it's more than normal and I don't know what the reason is. Um, I don't think... It's any less physical than it's been. Um, perhaps, perhaps teams are just not quite getting the preparation right. I know for South Africa, like our seasons, especially our top line Springboks, have they've just been playing for with almost without a proper break for so long. You know, the URC and the changing of the the seasons between Super Rugby and the URC has made it really, really difficult because the season's so long and then it goes to internationals and then they take a break for the internationals sometimes but like you know some of the Sharks players or the Stormers players um, they haven't really taken a proper break and even someone I think like Bilimsa when some of the other internationals rested he carried on playing so a lot of our players have been playing for without a proper break for longer than previously Um, I'm not sure about other teams but I think you're right there are a lot more injuries than when you than we used to see. Yeah, it's gonna, and it's going to be very interesting to see if those players now come back and they're fine, or if those players are now just injured, um, or like you know, whether they come back for the uh, playoffs or not. Cold or firing. Um, yeah, uh, and I think um, you know with like the Pollard situation. Um, that's that's an interesting one where he started training again, but we didn't choose to include him in the squad. So expecting injuries or whatever they what the plan is, it will be interesting to see what happens there. Um, or if if he just stays out of the squad completely. But you know, I think everyone's interested to see if 
we're able to call Pollard in. And even if we do, if we replace Lubbock or if we just have him on the bench as an option, what will happen? So injuries have become a big part of this World Cup, whether we like it or not. But that's sort of how the game works, right? Yeah, and you know, this is what we were saying previously. Is I think South Africa is definitely the team that's best placed to be able to handle uh, a significant number of injuries. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully that that unfortunately you know no one wants that to happen, but hopefully that does you know, bode well in our favour. Uh, yeah. For the long term. Yeah, and, but you I... know, it's a testament to the, the planning done by by Jacques and Rossi. Yeah. But I think ultimately from this game, like you say, neither Ireland nor South Africa will be too worried about their performances, but there's also a long way to go. Um, but it is a relatively easy group. And the other game in this group was Italy and Namibia. Italy put 50 past Namibia. Um, 52-8 was the final score. I think the final score is a little bit harsh on Namibia. I think they put in quite a good shift until right towards the end where there was a late flurry of tries. Um, did you enjoy this one? Yeah, yeah, I thought um, the Namibia had some really nice touches. Um, as you say, I think they put up a really good fight. I don't think the Italians uh, had a walkover that the scoreline suggests, which is which is good. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, Namibia aren't aren't a top tier nation. Um, not that Italy are, but you know, Namibia are a couple of rungs down. They still have a lot of amateur players. So you know, the fact that they could challenge it, uh, Italy was enough of a success in my mind. Um, I don't expect them to have done better than that. So, you know, good good for them. Um, they, they're really going to be aiming, aiming for other teams. Uh, probably um, Uruguay, I think, is going to be their main, their main focus. Yeah, and we haven't seen Uruguay yet. They had a bye this round. So that is the big one. Um, that's their winnable game. That's basically their final. So if they can get up for that one, get their first ever World Cup win, that's, that's you know, that would be super exciting. Um, it's quite a weird, weird space for Italy to be in, you know, because they come to this world, the World Cup every time, comfortably, the, generally the third best team in their pool. Like, they're not going to lose generally to a Namibia and, you know, in theory, even a Uruguay, but they also have got absolutely zero chance of beating a France or a New Zealand. So they kind of rock up to do their, do their expected and then go home again. So we must be a weird place to be in. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's very few teams, I think, like right in the middle where you're not really happy to be there because you're, you know, you're there every time and you're expecting to be there, but you're not really competing for a top eight spot either. Um, they are one of like a handful of teams in that awkward like middle part. And I think if, if you were being really kind to them, you could say they could maybe pull off an upset against one of the big teams, but it doesn't look likely. Um, maybe against France, we've seen in the Six Nations, but this French team looks, you know, far too strong for them. But we'll see. Hopefully, they'll surprise us in that game. Um, on I mean, that it would be a massive upset. <laughs> yeah, massive. Exactly. <laughs> I'm certainly not going to say uh, Italy on Super Brew. So after after that game, we saw Australia and Georgia. Um, I was pretty disappointed in Georgia. I think that four of the games, which you know. Uh, tier one against the tier two. This one looked like potentially the, one of the bigger banana skins, but Australia in the end dealt with Georgia quite comfortably. And Georgia, as I said, quite disappointing. Uh, ben Donaldson was man of the match for this one. Um, yeah, what do you think? Australia happy? 
Well, I mean, they've got to win, so they kind of have to be happy. Um, you know, and it, I suppose it's everyone was questioning the call of the selection of Donaldson. I mean, considering he's not even got a contract super regular level at this moment, or he got kicked out by the Warriors or something. Yeah, he's you know, replacing a quite an informed um, Kellaway. But you know, obviously Eddie might might just know what he's doing. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out for the Aussies. You know, now that they've finally got a win, does it change their confidence significantly? Um, you know, that's there's definitely going to be sterner tests ahead, so it's not all um, happy. But you know, good for them to get the money off their back. Yeah, but I agree. It was disappointing from Georgia. Yeah, I think like they they didn't quite front up physically up front as as I hoped they would in terms of like the tight forwards, but and the forwards in general. And I think the the player was sort of summed up with. Uh, Niniach Shbili's uh, break where he made a really nice break and then passed it to Tupo. <laughs> and then Tupo had that nice assist for the try. So it was like doing something good, but then, you know, lacking the sort of execution and composure to sort of carry through with it. So hopefully Georgia will improve, but Australia's next match is against Fiji. So that's a really big one for them. Um, obviously the Wales are still to come for them as well. So the Saturday evening game was England Argentina. Um, this one we had a personal bet on. You, but, you... But was there was there a game? <laughs> England Argentina. Yeah, remember that uh, one? <laughs> you yeah, might you I might remember so. a hat trick of drop so. balls for a certain George Ford. Um, no, either it, that it's or not ringing any bells. I believe you put Tom Curry in your fantasy team, and he, he proceeded to get a red card after three minutes. Yeah, no, that 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 I definitely remember. Um, <laughs> as I said, made, made many bad calls this weekend, and that was that was one of them. Yeah, I think we we'll, we'll get into a complete discussion of the refereeing. Um, I think perhaps after we've gone through each of the games, but that was yeah. Uh, a call which was quite similar in terms of incidents to the other some of the other games. Um, but in terms of the match, I think other than Georgia, as I said, I was disappointed. If I was an Argentine fan, oof, I would not be happy. I think they were possibly the worst performing team of the weekend. They, especially being a man up, they were so, so poor. They looked like they just didn't have anything on attack. They were like um, unable to to cope with that rush defense too. And it was such a golden opportunity for them, you know, playing almost the whole match, a man up and still going down in that manner, not able to score a try until, you know, the last couple of minutes of the match. How did you feel, Ant, knowing that you really wanted to see Argentina win? I mean, I feel like most people wanted Argentina to win. Um, so this I think it's just me, but no, it was it was very disappointing. Like that was, I mean, uh, I didn't watch the game, I'll admit. Um, but for, by all accounts, Argentina played terribly, um, which is really concerning for them. Them, you know, like this was the game that they needed to win to, you know, kind of stamp their mark a little bit. Yeah, um, and to be so comprehensively outplayed by a you know pretty awful English side is not. Not a good sign. Um, fortunately, they can definitely still bounce back from here. It's not all over, but yeah, it's it's just worrying that they didn't fire a shot, really. Yeah, it, it is completely. And I think one of the things that I was saying last week was that this team it it does fire hot and cold so much. Like, and sometimes they're really good performances. Uh, sort of cover by, up. By, the by this team, are we talking about 
Argentina, 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 sorry, I think England are more cold more often. <laughs> There's not as much hot in, in that um, hi recent history. But uh, yeah, Argentina, when they play well, like those matches, I think, are somehow remembered better. And in between those, there is an off performance mm. every now and then. Um, so hopefully, it, for in terms of Argentina's, um, you know, role in the competition this was an off day and they will be able to bounce back but yeah certainly not ideal and england yeah despite being a man down they never looked like threatening the line i mean they obviously didn't score a try and they resorted to drop goals and the drop goals i think were really well taken but uh at the same time you know they i don't think they they're making anyone particularly scared with that performance despite being a man down yeah, I mean, they, I think that's fair. Like, I don't think England were exceptional. I think George Ford probably, you know, was. Uh, but I don't think anyone else is going to be too scared. And so who knows, maybe Samoa can still top the pool. Um, and then Fiji can become second. And we can still get our Fiji Samoa semi-final that I was hoping for. But just in a slightly different script. Um, obviously, we're still yet to see Samoa. They're going to be in action against Chile this weekend. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, look, it's good for England. Yeah, to, there we go. So, yeah, no one's going to be scared of England. Yeah. Um, I think if you are Samoa who haven't played yet, especially you'll be licking your lips. Japan, in the other game, didn't look uh, entirely convincing against Chile. I think in terms of... Um, in terms of neutral matches, this was one of the more exciting ones, seeing Chile make their debut in a World Cup. And especially at the beginning of the match, sort of pushing Japan more than many might have thought. I mean, I was kind of hopeful that they were going to push them. I didn't think, you know, I think, like, I've been, they haven't thought that Japan had been on the biggest set of forms. So, and I was kind of hopeful that, that they could push them. And the fact that they did was exciting. I mean, I think, again, it talks to the differences between your more established teams and the newer ones that, like, the newer ones aren't going to have the depth. They're not going to last the full 80. But it's cool that they were there and thereabouts and pushing and, like, just had, a, by their accounts, had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah and especially i think for me seeing their fans in the in the crowd um like gi giving as much kiss and um making you know their their presence known and i think getting a lot of positive feedback also from locals but also from people watching at home just seeing what chile and what chilean fans bring to a tournament like this so hopefully this is the first match of many that we'll see um, for in terms of chile competing but again japan not so impressive so samoa and argentina i think and england too to some extent will feel confident that they can get past them and also into the quarter. I think those three all aiming for a quarterfinal spot now. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And then the final match of the weekend was quite a heartbreaking one, I think, for both of us. Not just because I think oh. uh, we called it last weekend that Fiji would hopefully get one over on Wales. Um, but it wasn't to be. It was... In the end, 32-26, but Fiji had a chance right at the end to um, score a try. They were six points behind, so they would have needed a converted try. But unfortunately, um, Radrandra dropped the ball and Wales took five points. Fiji still get two losing bonus points, but it was a case of what if, you know. Um, Fiji did a lot of the running. They had a lot of possession. They 
had the ball in on the line, close to the line for large periods of the match. I think this is the first time we're going to get into some of the refereeing. Um, in this match, there has been a lot being said about some unfavorable refereeing decisions, I think, against Fiji. And do you want to start there? Well, I mean, I'm first just going to well, just kind of say, you know, well done, Fiji. They did push them really hard, and despite everything, they were they were pushing um, to win the match at the end, and they can only be applauded for that. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting game. They forced Wales to make what 250 tackles or something silly. Um, you know, um, some of those well well shits, and for their own credit, were pretty pretty impressive. Um, but the Fijians were tackling just as hard in return, so. It was a it was a really exciting game. I mean, the Fijians had some crazy, mad flair stuff. The Welsh were, you know, hanging in there. But it, you know, watching the game, there were definitely moments where you were like, "This doesn't feel particularly fair." Um, you know, I think particularly in that second half, where you know Fiji were camping in the Welsh half for probably like 15, 20 minutes, similar to I suppose the All Blacks Africa game um, a couple of weeks ago, and. and Wales just were repeatedly conceding penalties. I think Matthew Carley really warned them about four times and never showed a card. And then as soon as Wales got the ball, went down to Fiji's half, um, first infringement, yellow card to the Fijians. And so you just felt like there kind of wasn't that same level of consistency um, that should be shown. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it did hurt Fiji, probably. But at the same time, you know, Fiji still let Wales build a massive lead um, that they kind of then really struggled to come back from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you and I was very, very frustrated with the ref. I think in terms of my understanding, the pulling down the mall was seen as a cynical foul straight away to get the yellow. But again, I mean, this is me trying to play devil's advocate. Um, but yeah, I think even the, I, the one that the TMO went to where they judged that it wasn't, there was enough of a wrap or something. I think there were almost like two yeah, that separate, was ridiculous. there were like two separate defenders that felt like they could have been penalized and they were lucky to get away with. Um, so it did feel very harsh on Fiji. Saying that, you know, Fiji, like you said, it was an exciting game and Fiji still scored some nice tries as did Wales. But I, I, I think I felt, still felt a little bit disappointed with Fiji in terms of thinking that they they didn't quite um, play the game, which I think we know that they can. Like it felt more of the classic Fiji, which is always exciting. Um, but in terms of their growth and in terms of the way that we've seen them improve, whether it's discipline and the discipline was better than Wales as Wales obviously gave away more penalties, but even just a bit of a like smarter play sometimes. Um, I think that last, that last uh, move sort of summed it up where they had men over. They didn't have to throw that big pass out to Rundrunda. They could have played it through, you know, uh, through the line or through the hands. Um, but, you know, it was what it was. It would have been an incredible comeback. They needed three tries in the last 10 minutes and they got two and they were close to getting a third. So it's hard to be too critical, but at the same time, they now have to go and get one over Australia. It becomes a do or die match for them, right? Well, in all fairness, like Rodrigo, any other day catches that pass um, and scores pretty close to the poles. And, you know, so I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but sure. I still think that they'd I don't think there was the 
badly managed by the last five minutes. You know, the fact that they got from their try line you know, sure. all the way up. Um, you know, we can mention that Liam Williams pick, which is obviously just directly into touch and stupid, uh, which helped them. But and I think they, I mean, that's probably just in general, they did. You know, maybe they should have taken the three points a couple of times when they camped on the try line. Yeah, similar, very similar kind of comments exactly with New Zealand, where we weren't getting any kind of reward for our dominance yeah. on the try line, and we weren't taking the points, and you know, neither were Fiji. It just happened that you know we had enough time after that to pull ourselves back in the game where they had points put on them um, instead. So it's 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 a tricky one to kind of comment too aggressively on, I think. Yeah, but I think you know, I mean, everyone everyone has mentioned the lack of or losing Caleb Munts probably did have an impact. Yes, yeah, I think um, at the time maybe I, I I didn't think it was as big of a deal, but sometimes I forget, you know, Titty Tiller who came in as the starting ten. I think he's relatively limited, mm. even like for the Bundura, he he doesn't exactly shoot the lights out for them. So if they, I feel like they they still have better options, like. Uh, I don't know, even someone like Bola Bola, I think I've been more impressed with him, but he's obviously hasn't been included in the squad. Um, but yeah. Just uh, under 10, and then you can start to over. I mean, the, the, yeah, I, I feel like Tuisova and Botia are probably going to start against Australia, but we'll see soon enough. What did you think of Dan Bigger and his quite um, aggressive reactions towards some of his own team during the match? I mean, justified. If I was on the team with Welsh players, I'd be shouting at them as well. <laughs> I mean, like not kicking it out when the hoot is gone and you're on your own try line. It was kind of ridiculous. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Dan Bigger seemed like he was well up for it. So yeah, fair enough. It's, it's kind of classic Dan Bigger though. I mean, like you know, he is an emotional player and he does get quite heated. Um, and you know you've seen him shouting at his own teammates before, so I don't think it's it's unusual. Then yeah. um, I'm glad, it, and I don't even know if it seems like it's you know a rift in the camp or anything. I think it's just that's uh, just who bigger is. Yeah, no. um, I don't you know I don't think too many of his teammates are probably taking it too personally. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, I you know I think he was shouting at North at halftime, and North is also a centurion. You know, they're both heavily experienced but um north doesn't come across as the same sort of leader that bigger does you know he's a lot more uh calm and quiet but um i think leading yeah. on from the referee discussion perhaps into what we we did see in terms of some inconsistency with the head collision so as you mentioned jesse krill had an uh uh Sorry, he had something in the Samoa match. Where, not the Samoa match, I'm falling apart here. He collided heads. <laughs> he can bring himself back. He can bring it back. Yeah, it was Scotland. So <laughs> Jesse Creel was perhaps lucky to stay on the field with a head-on-head collision. Um, we saw yeah. Tom Curry get a red card in the England match against um, Argentina in the third minute. And that was similar, but slightly different in terms of uh, the opposition player sort of jumping more into it, coming from uh, receiving a high ball. And then in that same match, we also saw Carreras get a yellow card for potential head-to-head -head contact. It was a little bit more upwards into it, but um, all three were different. So one red, one yellow, one not um, even looked at. Do you think that this is a case of refs needing to be needing to be more consistent or do you think that they were all three just very different incidents 
Well, I mean, you can add a couple of more in there because there was the Chilean one, which was also yes. a yellow card. And then there were two or three head high tackles in the Fiji game um, that kind of didn't really get replayed or looked at either. So I think the Tom Curry one was quite harsh considering the player was coming down from a jump and like it's, you know, mm. I Curry thought- wasn't overly high. Um but yeah, I think it's there definitely does need to be some kind of consistency. At the end of the day, if fans are being left scratching their heads and they can't predict what the outcome of an incident is, then that's a problem. Do you think that Jesse Krills was not even looked at because they legitimately didn't see it, or they looked at it and they thought that there was nothing wrong with it? It didn't sound like there were any comms. Normally you mm-hmm. can hear the TMO going like, well, I've checked that, there's nothing in it. Yeah. It didn't sure. I don't know if that came out. I mean you would think then it would get cited if it was relevant and the fact that we still haven't heard anything and they've got until tomorrow morning, but we haven't heard anything from a citing perspective. So which means that someone must think it probably was fine. Russi is pretty adamant that it's fine. Sure. Um, he says, you know, the tackle was on the ball and the head contact was secondary, which is kind of not the point. Um, that I, I don't, I wouldn't have had any um, grumps if they'd given that as a, as a red or even a yellow, because I, you know, I think it was, uh, you know, there's at the end of the day, if there's head contact, then then that's the, the outcome. Yeah. Uh, so it's surprising when a couple of the Welsh hits again, also, you know, similarly weren't. It's not just the Springboks that they got away with it. There were um, quite a few um, head high contacts that that were missed, if you could phrase it that way. But it's it's a problem. That there, there needs to be consistency with these things, and the fact that fans are left confused, angry annoyed after the, the fact is, is not a good situation for the game yeah i think even just being able to take you know if it's a head head contact head on head contact or uh you know contact with the head just go through the protocols you know start at a red is their mitigation like being able to just explain it um but then with krill or even with the welsh and fiji ones like you said just to have that head on head contact and then not have any protocol from there seeing seemingly like that's fine it does create a bit of an issue so i don't know if we'll see any difference in the next week or the weeks to come but um yeah uh we'll hear about uh, tom curry at least and any outcome from his red card and then if there's any further sightings but um yeah i don't know i don't know if they will or can in terms of yeah like creel and all the others because if they have like three or four sightings from no, um, you know, the initial decision being nothing at all, you know, I, I think they don't like to make themselves look bad sometimes, which shouldn't be the case, but that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does become difficult. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't, don't really have a yeah. comment there. <laughs> so I think let's look forward to week two of the rugby world cup so the springboks are in action again um slightly different opposition this time we are against romania so i think we can expect to see a lot of rotation and to take us through through the sort of team that you want to see the springboks fit out um i think transformal herb can use a rest yep so let's let let's give him him i guess uh, some time off you know we, we can go full cock. full bomb squad bench. Yeah, and, so go go go. Um, yeah, Ox Bongi Trevor starting. Um, you know you can even play Dion Ferry 
as like cover off the bench, um, put Koch on the bench, or give Koch a start. Um, you know, I think we'll see Snaman and, and Klein start if Klein's fitter again. Um, I think you'll see probably Quacher getting a run. Maybe Visa gets another run at eight instead of Dwayne. Uh, but I mean, I think you're expecting to see kind of full rotation. We'll be interested to see if they play Jaden or Kubis or someone like that. Yes. Sir. Um, but I think, you know, we might even see Willem at 10, give Lubbock a rest. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Estes and probably Moody at 13. Yeah. Pimpy on the wing. But, uh, yeah, maybe even Colby at fullback or something. Yeah, I think I think Billy will probably start saying that he didn't start um, against Scotland. Uh, Moody at 13, yeah, right. But I don't know. Yeah, some people are going to have to play twice. I mean, we have five props, so one of Kitschoff and Malherber will have to be in the squad. Um, so not a complete rest for everyone. Obviously, someone like Marvin Ari will get a game, but I think it will be good. I think we can pretty much put out anything against Romania, right? We don't... We, we don't, yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel like we have to try to outdo Scott uh, Island's score. We just have to <laughs> have a good performance. It's not a competition to see who can beat Romania by the most, even though points difference could come into it at the end. I mean, it could in theory. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if um, Scotland beat Ireland and we lose to Ireland, then, then yes, you know, that could play into it. I don't see it going down that route. Um, but... Yeah, it could. Um, but no, I don't think uh, 82 points is a lot of points to try and peg as a goal. So I don't think we're going to go into the game with that kind of mindset. And like, I think we're just going to do standard spring box. We're just going to scrum and maul them and they're going to kind of slowly fall over. Okay. Um, but I, don't think we, I don't think we're going to be too expensive with doing anything silly. Yeah, that makes sense. Putting putting your, your predictive prowess on the line. Uh, given that you have to give a margin for this, it's kind of tough when the games blow out, you know, to, to, to be able to accurately predict the margin. But if you, if you had to put one, what would you say? Yeah. 50. Okay. Springboks by 50. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like 65, five or something. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll, I'll go for somewhere around there, maybe a tiny bit more, but you know, in the ballpark. Um, I mean, yeah. really, are Romania really that bad? I didn't see the, the Irish I, game. But I, I, th I think they're one of the weakest in the tournament, to be honest. Um, yeah, they they traditionally, you know, their forwards are sort of their stronger part of the game, which is obviously South Africa's own strength. So that gets negated a bit. So I think if we wanted, we could run them off their feet quite easily. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, let's um, hope we both get to see lots of points on Saturday. Yeah, so exciting day. We, as an aunt and I, might both be there to watch in person. Um, so let that happen, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about it and and talk about the in stadium chairs after the match. Um, Otherwise, Andrew's doing a solo episode, <laughs> and perhaps he owes this one after you know dropping out of this one but i'm sure we can figure out a plan for next week uh just going through some of the other pictures i think we'll start with the the biggest one so australia fiji i think is the standout for me that's on sunday mm. afternoon um fiji obviously like i said it's going to be a must win for them while australia still will, may have a second chance but will be desperate to to get the win do you see a way back for fiji 
it's tough. I mean, Australia looked a lot better than they have in the past. Um, but I definitely don't think it's impossible for Fiji. I think they could win it. Um, it's not out of the bounds, but I think, you know, you uh, would probably put Australia's favourites. Yeah. Which is sad because it means, you know, we probably won't see Fiji make the, the quarters. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think that I might have to use my heart a bit more than my head for my super brewery and go for Fiji here. Um, I think they, they, they will have one big performance at least in this World Cup, and I'm hoping that it's this game in terms of being able to play to their true potential. Um, and Australia, while they look improved, I think they're still just, you know, they still have Carter Gordon and Ben Donaldson as starting players who are far removed from some of the great Wallaby teams that we've seen in the past. So, yeah, let's go Fiji. Um, England, Japan? I think England are the favorites. Yeah, Can you see it going England, any other way? England comfortably. Nah. England pretty comfortably. Yeah, I think there are a lot of one-sided. See, um, see them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not the best round, unfortunately. We have the likes of New Zealand against Namibia, Wales, Portugal. Um, probably both will be blowouts. Samoa, Chile. Maybe Chile will be keen for an upset, although, you know, um, they they had more of a... Perhaps, or maybe not. Perhaps I was going to say they had a more manageable fixture against Japan, but perhaps they'll see Samoa as being more beatable. Go. I don't know. I mean, I just wouldn't <laughs> want to play some other. Yeah. Um, and, the, <laughs> and the other slightly interesting one, I guess, is Island Tonga. Tonga could be a bit of a banana peel. I mean, they haven't set the world alight in their uh, pre-World Cup form. But as we've spoken about, they do still have some big names. And on the day, some of these individuals could really shine. So hopefully Tonga will at least make it a little bit more competitive. Um, so we get a, even if it's just a better idea of what to expect, what to expect from Ireland, but it'll be interesting to see if Ireland, given that they played almost a full strength team against Romania to see if they rotate at all, if they sort of carry on trying to build with their first 15. Yeah, it was bold going into your easiest game with your strongest side. Yeah. Um, so it will be interesting to see, you know, because Samoa pushed them Sorry, Tonga. Uh, Samoa pushed them pretty hard recently, and, and you know, Tonga aren't the same side as Samoa, but you know, that they, they, they won't be a walkover. Um, and they, so it will be interesting to see how it goes. But you've got to kind of expect Ireland to to beat them fairly comfortably. Again, if Ireland have any kind of plans on being the, the dominant team at this World Cup. But I, I'm quite excited to see Tonga. I think um, guys like Maya Fafita, Sam Lausi, obviously Charles Pietal, Peter Aki, those guys are big names. Um, and some of the players I really like, Charles Pietal, especially when he was at the Blues and playing uh, in Ireland before he went to Bristol. He, he was really good. And for Bristol too, to be fair. Um, so I'm... I'm definitely looking forward to that game and hoping that Tonga can be competitive but yeah like we said a lot of the the games in this round um, are a bit more one-sided so hopefully Australia Fiji is as exciting as Wales Fiji was but with a result in hopefully more in Fiji's favor but um, yeah anything else that you're really looking forward to Ant from the World Cup well I mean apart from 
potentially being there. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a bit of a reset, quite a weekend. You know, there was a lot of high stake fixtures in the first round. Now it's going to be kind of a bit of a reset. Um, so we might be seeing quite a lot of mix and matches, but you know, hopefully just people stop looking for stupid stories. You know, I think like the whole bigger thing, the Russi disco lights, like it feels like journalists are just trying to come up with stories and it's like, let's just focus on the rugby and enjoy it and tell the narratives and the stories of the T2 teams rather than trying to drum stuff when there isn't actually anything there that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, there is plenty of proper rugby stuff, like you say, some of the T2 teams, even in the the, the T1 uh, realm too. Um, so I, I, one thing we didn't touch on was just weather. It's been extremely hot, and that's also perhaps had an influence on some of the games. Um, even the game last night, the Wales-Fiji game, which was a 9 p.m. game, which was still 30 degrees in Bordeaux. Um, I should warn you, Ant, obviously the weather forecast is still a week out but apparently there are thunderstorms forecast for this weekend um when south africa is supposed to be playing in Bordeaux. so it seems like Wait, it, what there may be the uh thunderstorms forecast for this weekend when oh. south africa are due to play in Bordeaux. but um well yeah. that's gonna change the vibe <laughs> <laughs> it's it's still monday so i think it's a bit early to to call the maybe you must hold off on his plane tickets until have a look have a look at the weather forecast um, I, I did have a look this morning and you know it's it could be a little bit of a dampener as you say but uh it's been hot nice fun. it's been humid yeah <laughs> and um you know it's made the ball slippery i think some people have commented on the number of handling errors but uh i think it's going to cool down a bit as the tournament goes on and players will get more used to the conditions so hopefully the excitement will continue We'll have games again from Thursday until Sunday, and we'll catch you again then next week. Um, whether it's us two, we'll have Andrew back, all three of us, hopefully, but we will see you then.